Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. Our guest tonight needs little introduction. She's the former host of Good Morning America, a regular on the Today Show, an internationally sought-after speaker and health advocate, mother of seven, grandmother of two, best-selling author who's been to the Tatter Cover many times, and now a champion in the fight against breast cancer. Her new book, Had I Known, A Memoir of Survival, is a deeply personal look at her recent journey through diagnosis, treatment, and recovery. We are honored to welcome her to the Tattered Cover during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Please join me in welcoming Joan London. Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be back. When I heard they were going to put Tattered Cover on my uh, schedule, I was so happy. I have been here a number of times for other books. Uh, It's great to be back. Frankly, after this last year of my life, it's just great to be here, period. Um, absolutely. I was diagnosed uh, on June 5th, 2014. Those are dates you don't forget uh, with stage two triple negative breast cancer. And, you know, I must tell you that that day I went in like I did every year to get my mammogram. Uh, My gynecologist had said, you should get the 3D mammogram. It's exponentially better, which by the way, it is. Um, you know, it'll cost you a little out of pocket. I'm sure insurance won't pay for it, but it's worth it. So I got it, and I walked out of that 3D mammogram that day and got a clean bill of health. And, you know, I at first you just kind of <sighs> exhale, oh, another year, another clean mammo. And then I walked across the hall, and I had an ultrasound. And I heard those words that no woman ever wants to hear, you have breast cancer. And I got to tell you, It was a fluke that I walked across that hall because none of my doctors had ever talked to me about getting an ultrasound. It's only because as a journalist, about six years ago, I was sent to do an interview with Dr. Susan Love, who's one of our leading breast cancer uh, experts in this country. She's a breast cancer surgeon out in Los Angeles, and she wrote the breast book <clears throat> and many versions thereafter. She has another one coming out that she's working on now. And I was sent to interview her actually about mammograms. And <clears throat> in between, I, I think they were changing camera batteries or something, and we were chit chatting. And, you know, she looked at me, I guess, as any good cancer expert should, and said, You do get your mammograms every year, right, Miss London? I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get them every year. And, and they're always so nerve-wracking because they always call me back in for more films. And I always freak out and say, why, did you see something? And they always say to me, no, 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 no. It's just because we can't see anything. You've got like this dense, fibrous breast tissue. And with that, she looked at me and said, well, wait a second. If that's true, then you, you also need to be having ultrasounds in addition to your mammograms. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be really honest with you. I was completely nonchalant as a woman about this interview. I was just here, I was here collecting the information for that one in eight that was going to get cancer because I wasn't going to be that one in eight because I didn't have 
any family history of breast cancer. Had I known (laughs) that only 10% of women diagnosed with breast cancer actually had a family history, I probably wouldn't have been so nonchalant. In fact, I wouldn't have felt so immune, and I might have made a lot of different decisions along the way. And, you know, I thankfully, thankfully, I went back, and I got to be honest, and I, I decided I had to be totally honest in this book and fess up. Like, I did not do myself breast exams, okay? Like, I was like so many other women, like, nobody has to raise their hand, but we all say we do. I didn't, because I was nonchalant, because I wasn't going to get it, because I didn't have a family history, so why did I have to bother? And I was really there collecting the information that day from Dr. Love for that other, the other women out there who were actually going to get breast cancer. And, you know, thank, and I had heard this three years before, interviewing another doctor. And I didn't do anything that time. But this time, thankfully I did, and I went back home, and, you know, when my time came around that year to get my mammogram, I walked into my gynecologist's office and said, Dr. Susan Love told me I should get an ultrasound. And he said, okay. And he wrote a prescription. And I started getting them. So that for the last six years, I got that ultrasound. I mean, I seriously think that that interview saved my life. And I also feel now it's my turn to pay it forward and pass this information on to other women to try to help them you know, have keep their lives safe. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I came back from that experience and I, you know, when I, when I was diagnosed, I'll be honest, in the beginning, I thought about keeping it secret. I think it's just a natural thing. I think it's a, it's a leftover from 20 years ago when no woman talked about having breast cancer and no one told anyone, you had the big C. You know, whenever you hear that word cancer, it's just so scary. And, you know, the thought of going public was, you know, it was really a tough decision to make. And I remember I called Robin Roberts. And I got to tell you, that conversation was so wonderful. First of all, she's like just one of the best people in the whole world. She really is. She's just got one of the best souls ever. And I was also talking to another woman who had gone down this path. It was the first person that I was speaking to. I didn't know any friends or any relatives who had ever gone through breast cancer. I had zero experience. So <clears throat> when the surgeon, you know, sat me down, like after you get your, your biopsy and the radiologist says you have breast cancer and you need to go to see a breast cancer surgeon. And by the way, Dr. Susan Love said it so well in my last conversation with her when I said, like, what's wrong with this country the way, like, why aren't women being told, you know, that they have dense breast tissue and that's a risk factor and that it can mask cancer in a mammogram? And she said, well, in America, the gynecologist gets from the belly button down and the breast cancer surgeon gets from the belly button up. I said, but wait a minute, we don't go to a breast cancer surgeon until after we've been diagnosed with breast cancer. She said, ding, 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 therein lies the problem. And so, you know, when I got this diagnosis from the radiologist and she sent me to the the surgeon, 
and I couldn't get in for three days to this surgeon. Those were the longest three days. <clears throat> and then I, I walked in and she sat me down and she said, <clears throat> you have triple negative breast cancer. I thought, okay, well, that sounds good, <laughs> right? I'm like negative to three things. That's got to be good. <clears throat> she says, no, 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 no. You know, you can be estrogen positive or progesterone positive or HER2 positive. And if you are negative to all three of those, it's a little subset. Like less than 20% of women get this, this little subset called triple negative. And the issue with having triple negative is that we have incredible, wonderful targeted therapy now for the other three kinds of breast cancer. And we can keep most women alive today if you're um, diagnosed at an early stage. In fact, like the good, the, the, the good headline here is that in the world that we live in today, if you are diagnosed with breast cancer at an early stage, stage one or stage two, you have a 95% chance of surviving and living on after. And women shouldn't totally freak out when they... Find a lump, 8 out of 10 lumps, they say, are not cancerous, but you really do have to get in and have it checked. I did not feel anything. Oh, that's right. I never did self-breast exams. I already, I already fessed up to that one. <laughs> However, more breast cancers are found in self-exams or diagnostic exams than are found in mammograms. Most of the women I talk to. It was, in fact, I can't tell you how many women I talked to that say I had just gone for a mammogram and I was in the shower and I felt something that just wasn't right, but I figured, but wait a minute, I just had a clean mammogram, you know, three months ago, six months ago, but their gut told them that something was wrong and they went in. So it's very important to get diagnosed in an early stage and I am just so thankful that mine got caught in stage two. But the problem with triple negative breast cancer is that we don't really have any targeted therapy yet. They're really working on it, and I think, you know, we'll see that in the not-too-distant future. But right now, it's chemo, and that's it. And, I mean, when she said, you know, you're going to have to go through months and months and months of aggressive chemotherapy, it was like all the air was sucked out of the room. And I'm going to admit... My first question was, am I going to lose my hair? Because that's the vision you get in your head of a cancer patient. And as a mom, you worry, like, my kids are going to see that. And, you know, at the beginning, my husband and I, I mean, you're kind of a lioness when you're a mom. You don't want anything to hurt your kids. And we said, well, should we tell them? You know, they're going away to summer camp and... You know, maybe we'll just wait till they're back. We don't want them to worry while they're away. And they thought, wait a second, though. But if this gets out, then it's going to be in the paper. And then some other mother will tell their child. And then our kids will hear before we tell them. And the oncologist there said, telling you right now, not a good idea to keep family secrets. Family secrets are never a good idea. You can have all kinds of trust issues later on. You got to tell them. You got to tell them now in an age appropriate way. And they were, I have, you know, I have three older girls. If any of you watched Good Morning America over the years, those girls are now 28, 31, and 35. Uh, the 35 year old just had a little boy five weeks ago. Uh, the 31 year old runs my company. 
She's a vice president, but she runs my company. And she had a little girl a year ago. The 28-year-old runs um, my new online TV channel called Alive with Joan. You can go to it at alivewithjoan.com and um, it's dedicated to women's health and breast cancer. And then I have twins who are 12 and twins who are 10. And I got to tell you, no matter how many presidents I've covered, it's always the seven kids that get the applause. <clears throat> but at the time, the twins were 9 and 11, you know, fourth and sixth grade. And the sixth grade kids were like going into a new middle school. And I really worried. You know, I know sixth graders don't, because they. I was asked right away to do People Magazine. And right away, um, Kate Coyne, the editor-in-chief who I've known forever, she said, I really want you to do it bald. So I tortured myself for two months, all of July and August. I would talk myself into it and out of it and into it and out of it. You know, I shouldn't do this. Like, even like, what's my husband going to feel like when he, when everybody sees me bald? Thank God I had an oval head. That's all I can say. And, you know, right before the, the people crew came in to my house the morning to take the shot, and I got to tell you, I just come off of 12 weeks of chemo. Um, <clears throat> if anybody's interested, I got, um, two very, very different opinions. The trouble with going for a second opinion is you get a second opinion. And sometimes it's wildly different from the first opinion. And in cancer treatment, this can really be the case. And it was the case for me. Um, One really well-known institution said you should have surgery first, and then you should take the standard of care, which is ACT, adriamycin, cytoxin, and taxol. But I had already seen another oncologist with NYU, and she had just come back from something called ASCO. It's a big, big convention in Chicago for breast cancer. There are about four of them a year, and this one in Chicago happens every year, last week of May, first week of June, and I got diagnosed June 5th. So she had just come back, and she had just been in a lecture about this new way of treating breast cancer. Um, And not only is it called neoadjuvant, which means having your chemo first and your surgery second, and the advantage to that, if you were in my situation, which I was only going to have a lumpectomy, I wasn't going to need a mastectomy, is that you have a chance to take all this chemo, and number one, it shrinks everything down so your surgery is minuscule instead of a big surgery. So you don't have to get involved in reconstruction and all that. And the second thing is that the doctors are able to kind of watch you and see how the chemotherapy is working, or if it's not working. It doesn't work on everybody who has triple negative. And the other thing we did differently is we took it out of order. We did Taxol first, along with, it's not a new cancer drug. It's something called carboplatin. Um, somebody might have heard it here, of it here before. It's u- been used in lung cancer and a lot of other kinds of cancers. It just hadn't been used in breast cancer before, but trials had just ended, and the, um, the analysis of those trials had been divulged there at ASCO, <clears throat> and she said, I think this is for you. And the uh, second opinion said, nope, that's way too aggressive. And I kind of said, I don't know. I have the most aggressive form of cancer, the breast. I kind of want to send in the Army, the Navy, and the Navy SEALs and the Special Forces. 
you know, if we're going to do this. Um, so I chose a more aggressive, uh, you know, approach to it. And so I had just gone through 12 weeks of a really aggressive treatment and came back home and I knew they were coming. <laughs> and so this, I will tell you that this photo was taken and five minutes later that photo was taken. I was like, am I going to do this or not? Am I going to do it? The night before, I got my four little kids together, and I got them on the bed, and I said, all right, I have a decision to make, and I I need you guys to help me on this, and I need to know how you feel about it and whether you think I should do this or not. This photography crew is coming in tomorrow. They're going to take a picture of me and do a story about my breast cancer, and they want me to be on the cover without my wig. And my son, Max, said, Dad already told us about this, Mom. We all think you should do it. <laughs> Dad said you could save lives and you could be a voice for a lot of women in America. So you have to do it. I said, all right. Is everybody good here with it? And they all you know, said, yeah, they were good. And I had to be honest. When they walked in the next morning, I don't really know if I if I truly knew I was going to do it or not. <clears throat> but I've never looked back. I've never regretted it, and I've never looked back because it, it, it upped the conversation in America. And, you know, like I said in the very beginning, you know, 20 years ago, nobody talked about this. You went through it by yourself. Women were embarrassed. They felt less than a woman and I got to tell you, even today, like once again, I'm going to just be honest. I'm, it's really tough. You know, you, lo- you lose your hair. And by the way, I had lost my hair, but that day I still had my eyelashes and my eyebrows. And I went in for a lumpectomy right after that. And, um, and then I was scheduled to go on the Today Show. They had called and asked, will you become a special correspondent for us for breast cancer and women's health? And I said, Absolutely, I'd love to do that. And the night before my first appearance on the Today Show, I went into the bathroom and I washed my face and I looked up and I washed off all my eyebrows and all my eyelashes. Like in one felled swoop. They were all off. And I looked up in the mirror and I saw a cancer patient. And I said, really? The night before the Today Show. Really, this is when this is when it had to happen. But um, I remember I called my my makeup artist and said, "Just a little FYI, I'm coming tomorrow with no eyebrows and no eyelashes, so be ready for that one." Uh, and you know, I really think that today women have an easier time, at least in their journey. I will tell you honestly, I used to see everybody wearing pink. I didn't really get it. I really didn't. I mean, I I got the idea. I get it now. The breast cancer community is powerful and compassionate and embracing. I mean, they really extend their arms and take you in. And it's an important part of recovery. And... That's why it's important to be able to talk about it and accept help from others and, and bring in a circle of support. You know, you might think that this was a year 
this past year that I kind of want to forget. I have to be honest, though. It was really memorable in a way for me because it had a couple of silver linings. I used to hear from people, oh, as soon as I started journaling, I knew right away. In the beginning, it's just everything the doctors are saying, just to keep track of it all. It's just this onslaught of information. And if you haven't gone through it with anyone, it's like a new language. Like, whoever heard of neoadjuvant or triple negative? And then pretty soon you start letting out your emotions and your fears. And thinking of fears pretty soon, I think whenever you contemplate the possibility of death, you look back at your life. And all the decisions that you made along the way that kind of brought you to this person you are today, to this warrior who's fighting this battle. So... The book became a little bit of an autobiography, but, you know, I thought that was kind of fun, too. You know, I didn't, it's not just a book for people going through breast cancer. I wanted it to be a book about digging inside and finding what that is that you need in order to face any life challenge, because we all face life challenges. Nobody has, nobody goes through life without any life challenges. And as I started, you know, journaling, I knew right away that I was going to start sharing it. And then as soon as I went public and everybody started engaging with me, and by the way, I had no idea. We didn't have Facebook when I was on Good Morning America. I left GMA in, what, 1998? There was no Facebook then, no Twitter. We knew there were millions of people out there, but you weren't really connected to them. And I think one of my biggest disappointments leaving JMA was being disconnected from all of my really good morning friends. And boy, did this reconnect me with them. According to my Facebook page, at least 8 million of them. (laughs) But as they started engaging with me, I started learning from them, getting great advice. And I started cutting and pasting them out and putting them in the book. And they became part of my tale. And it's funny because the other day... I was at a signing like this, and I was telling a story about how this one woman wrote to me and said, before you know it, you're going to be looking at this through your rear view mirror, thus chapter title, and you will come to learn the phrase N-E-D. It stands for no evidence of disease, and it's a phrase that you will cherish forever. And this woman said, that was me. I said, oh, well, you're in my book. (laughs) But that was part of my experience, was this incredible engagement with the public. And that was a silver lining for me. If I hadn't gone public, I wouldn't have been reunited with everyone. And it also, as I look back at my childhood, reunited me with my dad. My dad was a cancer surgeon. And I heard from one woman. And I'll share this one. Other than that, you have to read the book to get the rest. But this one woman wrote to me and on, I think, Facebook. And she said, I hope you're doing well. I just want to let you know that I had the distinct pleasure of knowing a wonderful woman named Violet for 38 years. She was my grandmother. And I would not have known her and not have had her as a strong role model had it not been for the fact that your father performed a radical mastectomy on her when she was only in her 30s. 
and she went on to live. She just passed away last year at 95. And it was a very, very difficult operation because back in those days, they didn't have what we have today. They didn't have chemotherapy and radiation. They would take as much off the human body as you could possibly take off from collarbone to the waist and still let the person stand and and be able to operate. If you told me I could have that email, that Facebook message, or a million dollars, I'm telling you I'd take that message. That was reconnecting with my own history and with a little bit about my dad. My, and my dad was a cancer surgeon, but he was also a very avid private pilot. And he used to fly all over the country speaking at cancer conferences. And we lived in Sacramento, California. He had been down in L.A., and he was flying back from speaking at a cancer convention down there and crashed and was killed in our plane. Um, he was 51 years old. And, you know, I, I just kind of all, I always thought I grew up to be a doctor. Then I worked in a hospital for a very short time, found out wasn't happening. <laughs> Stitches and scalpels, it wasn't happening. Um, and in the oddest way, because life is odd, This last year handed me an opportunity to pick up where my dad left off and carry on his legacy. And I think it's probably the most important assignment that I'll ever get. So I hope you enjoy the book um, and uh, kind of the looking back at my life for all of you GMA viewers from the past. A lot of behind-the-scenes stories. And by the way, um, on November 3rd, Good Morning America will be 40 years old. And um, I actually was there, I won't even say, just a few years after it started on the air, I started as a reporter there and became the host in 1980, and little did I know I'd be there for two decades. But um, this November 19th, you can mark it on your calendar, they're going to be doing a GMA 40th anniversary show, and David Hartman and Charlie Gibson, and does anybody remember, like, this is really a trivia question. If someone gets it here, I'm going to be so impressed. Does anybody know who the first co-host was with David Hartman? This is, like, serious trivia. No, Barbara Walters was still over at the Today Show at this time, hosting the Today Show. There's a woman named Nancy Dussault, and she had come from Broadway, and she was a real night owl. She hated the mornings, so that didn't last too long. And then uh, she was replaced by a woman named Sandy Hill, who had been a, a... anchor up in Seattle, Washington, and she's back in Seattle, Washington now. She's going to be at the show. Nancy's going to be at the show. And for 40 hours prior to that show on November 19th in the morning, they're going to do 40 hours of live streaming on Yahoo, and different different members of the old, the old crew will be doing um, live streaming, so you might want to check that out. Uh, but in the meanwhile, just remember I am on the Today Show now. Like last night, we were, we were doing some brainstorming about, God, I've got all this amazing tape. I don't even know how I have all this tape. Probably she should be in the ABC library. 
but I have amazing tape. And I said, I could pick my 10 best moments, my 10 favorite moments, and we can do them on a countdown. And I thought, hmm, is a Today Show not going to like that? <laughs> so I'm a little schizo. I mean, like, I, you know, which side am I on? But you have to go back for a 40th anniversary. Uh, but meanwhile, um, I'm happy that, that the Today Show has asked me to be a part of them and happy to be working with them now. And, and I have had people on, on Twitter and on Facebook say, what are you doing at the Today Show? And I said, because they asked me. And yesterday somebody said, why are you at the Today Show? That's being incredibly disloyal to the network that had you on. And I so wanted to say, did you ever change jobs? (laughs) But my daughter who runs my company says, don't engage, mom. Don't engage. It's so hard to do sometimes. <laughs> but for me, I engaged um, in my effort to write this book. And I'm now writing a follow-up book on the nuts and bolts of what I learned um, about clean eating and everything. And it will be out next year. But for now, I hope that you all enjoy. And everybody, does anyone have any questions? Um, uh, but I met you last uh, October 1st when you were at the Breast Cancer Awareness in, in New York on the Today Show. You out on the plaza. It was kind of a misty, rainy morning that morning, wasn't it? But we stuck it out. But what I wanted to ask you is, in Colorado, they don't have a dense situation. And I'm working with Angela Williams here, who's a congresswoman. And we just met the other day. And she's going to try to put the bill through again. Good. Oh, tell her to contact me. But you are working with the uh, federal bill. Yeah, I'm working with Senator Dianne Feinstein's office and Congressman Rosa DeLauro. There are now, what, what she's talking about is that for two decades, every time a woman got a mammogram, there was information collected in it that said whether or not you had dense breast tissue, which A, is a risk factor, and which B, can mask cancer because it shows up on a mammogram film as white. So does cancer. So I've had radiologists say to me, it's kind of like looking for a snowball in the middle of a snowstorm. And if you are in this situation, you need an ancillary test. You need an ultrasound in addition to a mammogram. And some women even need an MRI after that. Um, There is a very... um, aggressive national campaign to try to change this in America. Um, If you're wondering if your state's, well, you just found out, but on areudense.org, you can go to areudense.org, and it shows the map of the United States, and it shows you if your state does have legislation. There are now 23 states in America who have legislation that requires the radiology lab to to send this report, which, by the way, has been sent to our referring physician I went up and I, when I got my first clean mammogram and my first clean ultrasound this past June, I asked, I said, can you please send me, can you hand me all of the reports that you've been sending to my gynecologist for the last 17 years? And they gave them all to me. And every single one of them said down at the bottom, this patient has very dense breast tissue and which could mask cancer in a mammogram and needs an ancillary test. Why didn't he have a discussion with me? That's what I want to know. And I'll tell you, ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, they're against it. 
And the reason why they're against it, I think, I mean, this is, and this is my summary. You all know that they've gone through incredible liability issues over the last decade because of, of suits about malpractice suits and, and deliveries, and many of them have stopped delivering babies. And now all of a sudden here they have this in their lap. Like they send you for the mammogram. Now they get this report that says, hmm, you need another test. So now what are they going to do? They're going to tell you that you need a test, and oh, by the way, your insurance is not going to cover it. They don't want that responsibility in their laps. And you can kind of understand where it is. I mean, the liability now comes back to them. So they have not been in support of this bill. Um, Federally, we have legislation. We had it in front of the Congress last year. December ended. The session ended. It didn't pass. We now have it before Congress again. We still have eight women senators that have not signed on to the bill. And by the way, there's no fiscal attachment. It does not say that the insurance has to pay for it. All it says is that the patient, the woman who goes for the test should get the report. That's it. And we can't get this legislation passed. Now, there is an issue, and a lot of the reason why some of the pushback is that is over wording. Because, frankly, you get that piece of paper, and it says up at the top in bold, no irregularities from what we could see. No irregularities were found. No cancer is found. And then there's like this whole big, like, you know, 18 dis- disclaimers. And down at the bottom, also in bold, it does say, if you're in one of those states, it says whether or not you have. But it just, every state's different because we don't have any federal legislation. So they say different things, but basically they say you have very dense breast tissue and that may mask cancer in a mammogram. Okay. So then what? I mean, how are we supposed to make the leap? Is there another test? Like, did you forget to tell us, like, part B of this conversation? And it leaves women in a quandary. It leaves them scratching their heads. And, it's, and by the way, most, most women read the top line. Into the round file or into that health file in your cabinet. You read the top line. You read the, the headline. So, and I don't know if you guys have been following what happened on the news day before yesterday, but the American Cancer Society came out with rather astonishing uh, decision. And I will tell you that there's a U.S. Preventative Services Task Force in America, and it's a, it's a group of 15 people, no doctors who actually see patients, and they really kind of look at every, every aspect of health in America, kids' vaccines, everything, and breast cancer included. And they decided about three years ago that they saw a study from Canada that most doctors feel is a flawed study that basically said we shouldn't be doing mammograms at 40, we should push them to 50 because not enough lives are lost to outweigh, to outweigh the number of unnecessary false positives i'd rather have a false positive any day rather than not know i had cancer it doesn't it can't outweigh the number of needless biopsies and possible surgeries and so when i addressed the miami breast cancer conference 1300 oncologists and breast cancer surgeons last march i said i just like to know how many women actually do have to die 
in order for it to be worth it to start at 40. It, is there, does anyone have a number on that? So this has been ongoing. They've wanted to push it to 50 and do it every other year. A breast cancer like mine is called an interval cancer. It can pop up out of nowhere. It's not like an estrogen cancer that grows over a decade. It can pop up out of nowhere and be three centimeters in six months. You could go to stage four. It could be invasive and metastatic, and we don't have the ability to keep everyone with with metastatic breast cancer alive for their lifetime. We haven't figured that one out yet. So ACS has been fighting this one. And by the way, I think the ACS is great. My dad, as I told you, went around speaking for American Cancer Society. They are with me, hand in hand, next to me in Washington, fighting these bills. But this time, I think they threw us under the bus. And that's my personal opinion. I think they made a backroom negotiating compromise with this task force and said, we'll meet you halfway. And said, okay, let's put it at 45. And the problem is they said, but you as a woman, you can still decide for yourself based on your risk factors. Well, I got to tell you, I hear from a lot of women. A lot of women are just like me. If they don't have it in their family history, they don't think they have a risk factor. And so you're just leaving women bewildered and confused in this country. And I got to tell you, there's going to be a lot of women out there who are going to say, ooh, cool, I don't have to do that squish or boob thing until I'm 45? Awesome. And they're just going to write it off until they're 45. And I'm telling you, I hear from women every day on my social media who are 40, 41, 42, that are being diagnosed. If those rules were in place for those women, where would they be? I, I think that they would not have had their lives saved. So, not that I have an opinion on it, but, yes. So, um, this is my mom, and so she was diagnosed with breast, breast cancer last year, and her mammograms, she thought were good. She found out um, from Sloan Kettering, her second opinion, that in fact, she had dense breasts, so not even from her doctor. So, knowing this, I'm due for my yearly mammogram, I had to ask my doctor, do I have dense breasts? She's like, Yes, you do. I've had how many mammograms, right? So I tell her, I say, okay, just the other day I've been talking with them. I said, um, you know, I want, since I have dense breasts, my mom has breast cancer. She has dense breasts. And they're like, well, we just still do the mammograms. Fight and it. I'm fighting them right fight now. Fight it. To, to say, no, no, no. You're, you're, you fight that one with your insurance because when you, have, when you have a first-degree relative that's a mother... Or, or aunts or siblings, you, that is a major risk factor, and dense breasts is a second major risk factor. The next one is BRCA, and you don't have to have BRCA. That puts you at great risk. And an insurance company can't buy all rights, not, not let you have that test. But I'm going to tell you, I hear from women like you day in and day out all the time, and everyone's fighting this. And no, you shouldn't. I'm, we're, suppo- we're a nation that's trying to figure out how to cut down our health costs. I'll tell you how to cut down health costs. Catch breast cancer early. When it's caught late, it's a fortune. I mean, when you catch it early, really early, you might 
actually escape having to have chemotherapy, which has a lot of long-lasting effects on your body. It really does. Don't forget the lower socioeconomic. Well, that's really who... And I'll tell you, the ACS, unfortunately, went one step farther. They actually said that they made a recommendation that doctors no longer do any diagnostic breast exams. And it is going to be those women in rural areas and lower socioeconomic areas that don't have access to a mammogram, that don't have insurance to get themselves that mammogram. And if they aren't getting that diagnostic test either, they're the ones that are really going to be hurt. And, you know, mortality rates in this country for breast cancer overall are down. I mean, as soon as they stop, as soon as most women stop doing HRT, they just drop dramatically. And it's really because we have so much better treatment. And we're getting more women screened, and we're finding it. However, in young women and in breast cancer, in the breast cancer world, a young woman is anyone under 40 because that's when you start mammograms, or at least up until now it was. So anyone under 40 is considered a young woman. The mortality rates for young women in America in breast cancer are up, and they're going up. Why? Because they think they're too young. They're not looking for it. They're not expecting it. They think it can't happen. And you know what? Even their doctors, they go to their doctors who say, what's wrong with you? You're 32. Stop worrying about this. You're too young to get breast cancer. And also, they are the most underinsured group of the population. And you put that all together, and it means that more women who are young get diagnosed at a much later stage, and they die. Yes. There's a lot of research being done on triple negative. In fact, I interviewed a researcher the other day at um, Dana-Farber Cancer Center. In fact, I was at Dana-Farber Cancer Center last night giving a speech, and then they put me in a jet and flew me to North Platte, Nebraska. We landed at 1.30 this morning, and uh, I gave a speech in North Platte, Nebraska this morning, and then I got a plane and came here. But Dana-Farber... Uh, they're doing a lot of research. A lot of pe- a lot of places are. There are. There's a wonderful bit of research going on at the Mayo Clinic about a vaccine for women who have had triple negative breast cancer. In fact, I'm seriously trying to figure out how to weasel myself into this clinical trial because this vaccine could prevent a recurrence. Because triple negative has a much greater um, risk of recurrence. But at least, and it grows fast, though, so at least you'll know right away. You don't have to wait 10 or 15 years to find out. But Dana-Farber, um, I interviewed some of their researchers recently, and they have actually figured it out. You know, it's, breast cancer is usually like in three buckets, you know, estrogen and progesterone, HER2, and then triple negative. They've now discovered that in triple negative, there's like five different kinds, five buckets. And when they start figuring that out, like really getting down to that, that's when they'll start getting targeted therapy. So, all right, I want to let everybody get a chance. Come on up and ask me, okay? Or, what's your question? Well, I was just wondering, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer two years ago. Uh-huh. I have um, five siblings. We were all kind of not getting along at the time, but uh-huh. so brought us together. 
It does do that. My older daughters, like you, they were at every one of my doctor's appointments, every one of my chemo treatments and my radiation treatments. Um, fortunately, we were all getting along, but, but um, you're right, it does. It, it, it actually sometimes can have either effect. I mean, I have heard from people that have had, sometimes people run away kind of scared. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They don't want to be burdened with it. But it can also have the other effect. You need to be diligent. You need to do your self-exams. Every woman should do her own self-exams and know her body. Know your normal. And if your mom had it, it's a good idea to get BRCA tested, that she should get BRCA tested. I immediately went and got BRCA tested because I, well, first of all, with triple negative, they needed to know if they should take out my ovaries. But they also wanted to know if my daughters had to be concerned. So if you've had it, your mom probably knows that to get BRCA tested. All right. I want to make sure everybody gets a chance to come up and say hi and get a book signed. So I'll sit down. That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.